Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Andrew Coggins, Managing Director of Entertaining and Hospitality at the world-class Goodwood Estate. Coming up on today's show... Andrew reveals his plan for career decision-making. There's no plan. There still isn't a plan. Phil comes up with a new hospitality musical idea. Get him in, get him out, get him in, get him out. And Andrew talks us through a particularly high-profile complaint. We got a complaint last night from Salman Rushdie when a rat ran across the cocktail bar under his legs. All that and so much more as Andrew talks us through his story and journey to date. Andrew has developed an amazing journey, taking him all the way around the world and working with some of the world's most prestigious properties, culminating in him taking the helm of the entertainment and hospitality at the beautiful Goodwood Estate, home to world-class events such as the Festival of Speed, the Revival and, of course, Glorious Goodwood. It's a chat crammed full of stories throughout and a huge thank you to Andrew for giving us the time that he did. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these stories as far as we can. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I am giddy beyond words as I welcome someone who is at the helm of one of the world's most well-known estates, and that is the Goodwood Estate. So I am delighted to welcome the ND, the MD even, not the ND, of said estate, Andrew Coggins. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you, Phil. Giddy. How are that's you doing? A, that's a wonderful word. I'm doing really well. Thank you. The, the sun is out. The sky is blue. What more could you want? I know. Well, after the last couple of days, I do, I've got to get out of the habit of doing this. Every single podcast I start now, I start talking about the weather. <laughs> we are British after all. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's what it is. I'm just, just being true to form. <laughs> that's what it is. But where where are you today? Uh, I'm actually in the hotel at Goodwood. Uh, I'm very fortunate enough to have my office in Goodwood House, the the house itself. Mm. But one of my challenges is that I do have an open door policy. And so even when my door is firmly closed and I've got a private meeting, people tend to sort of just wander on in. So I thought for something like this, what I don't want to have is, is various people wandering in and confronting me with the challenges of the day. So I've... Uh, decamped down to the Goodwood Hotel, which is about 400 yards away from the house, and I'm in one of their lovely meeting rooms. So, yes, nice and safe lovely. there, hopefully. Shouldn't be interrupted. In theory, no. Although it'd be good for comedy effect. But there comedy effect. I, I, I don't know what day they, te- they test the fire alarm, so let's just be worried okay. about that as well. <laughs> Everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why Why I'm giddy, and uh, you and I spoke about this before we long before we, we switched the microphone on, but um, I have got a bit of a love affair with the, the Goodwood estate, and I haven't yet experienced everything that you've, you've got to offer, but um, about, it's probably about seven or eight years ago now, well, it's eight years ago, because it was for my brother's 40th, I bought, he's a motorhead, uh, or a petrol head, sorry, and uh, I bought him tickets to Festival of Speed. Mm-hmm. And I back then I wasn't much of a, a petrol head, but I went to the Festival of Speed, and I was an instant petrol head. Mm. Just the most amazing event that I've ever been to. Thank you. It's 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 been going since 1993, and it it was started by the current Duke. And on a normal year, and obviously this year is not a normal year, as, as yeah. But nevertheless, we'll normally have two hundred thousand people there over four days. I think I, I think I read a few years back that that if it was considered to be a sporting event, it would be the sixth most uh, attended sporting event in 
in the UK every year. I mean, it's a massive event. Um, yeah. For four days, 200,000 people in total over the four days. And as you say, it's it is for petrol heads, but it's also for so many other types of people. It's for people Absolutely. who just want to be on the estate, but enjoying such a fantastic, enthralling day. Uh, and yes, there are loud cars going past and, and and what have you. But there's so much more. You know, we've got Future Lab, which which is very much focused on the future of technology. There's 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 sort of you know bikes and BMX bikes doing displays. There's cars drifting and i had to even learn what a car drifting was all about a couple of years back <laughs> um but all in all it's just one of those places as well where people are having a great time for sure yeah. I, the 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 atmosphere is incredible there's just something go, going on pretty much in every direction yeah. you look the, the you know the smells are amazing the sounds are amazing and that, that's all underpinned by you know this massively well attended event that oh. where you just it just looks like everybody who is there is there to enjoy it and not, you know, not to cause trouble. Well, it, it's interesting. We, we Goodwood has a, a set of values, as does a lot of of, of, of organisations. And I've and I've worked for plenty of companies where, you know, the, the the values are, I wouldn't say predictable, but you know, they 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 talk about treating each other fairly and honestly and all those sorts of things, which yeah. are all admirable. We we have four values, and one of them is sheer love of life. You know, it's about infectious enthusiasm. That is actually one of our values, and hopefully that comes across at events like Festival of Speed. Yeah. But we have a sheer love of life, but also everybody who we want to come to the estate equally has that love of life. And if that comes across, well, we're halfway there to having cre- created a, a sort of an exceptional experience. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no, it's, it, it, it's what we aim to do. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's also the source of one of my greatest regrets. I um cuz you know what it's like there's there's celebs flying around everywhere and they're just you know they merge in with everyone else. Yeah. And my bro- my brother and I were down at the start line uh for our first experience and who walks past us but Christian Horner and Jerry Halliwell <laughs> and uh and we bottled it. We were going to go and you know get a, a selfie etc but um we we totally bottled it but I wouldn't bottle it again. Uh, that opportunity yeah, is there I, all the time. It, it, it's interesting what what happens when when you've been a good with a while you 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 sort of begin to realize that 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 you don't know who's around the next corner mm. and so therefore you know because because his grace the duke knows everybody that there is to know in motorsport but also he knows everybody who are just who want who are fans of motorsport and so at times as you say you know we have all of these people here and and you just the art is never to get thrown. And of course, that, that's perhaps the same throughout all hospitality, that if you're meeting and greeting somebody in a hotel, you obviously want to, 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 to look after them and say hello, but you don't want to be sort of fawning all over them or anything like that. Yeah. But at the same time here at Goodwood, because there's so, so many people who come here who are well known, but they also enjoy the fact that they can come to somewhere like this and just have a wander around and be treated as normal, you know. So, mm. so from that point of view, I mean, in, in hospitality, it was only when I came here that I realized that somebody like Tom Carriage loves his motorsport. And, but Tom, right. Tom, Tom buys his ticket and comes here, you know. And, yeah. and, and I got a message on the radio saying uh, Tom Carriage is around and, and, and our executive chef, Darren, Darren Bunn, knows Tom really well, you know, and, and what have you. And, and I sort of sent Darren off to say, 
can you just go and say hello to Tom and check that he's all all right? And he, yeah, yeah, he's just here with his young son and he, he wants to have a great day. And that's the type of place that we are where everybody can intermingle and just enjoy the day and have a great time. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm, I, as much as I'd love to make this uh, a, a two-hour <laughs> chat about the Festival of Speed, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to digress sure. uh, a little bit. Uh, and and actually, obviously, before you you took the helm here, there was a whole backstory of, mm. of of places and 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 things that you've been involved with through through your career. So take us all the way back to the, the beginning. Gosh. And um, uh, and how did you get into to hospitality in the first place? I just always wanted to. And. I was born and brought up in the Northeast and I went to school in Durham and uh, there's a hotel, hotel is still there to this day. Uh, I, I always knew it just as the Royal County, but I think it's now a Marriott, but I think it's still the Marriott Royal County. And uh, the Royal County Hotel was owned by Swallow Hotels, which I'll come back to in a, in, in a while. And mm. it was every summer in Durham, there's something called the Miners Gala which is where all of the pit villages and, and obviously they're all closed now, but back in the day, it was, it was the event in Durham every summer where all the pit villages will, would parade through the center of Durham and all parade past the Royal County hotel. And whoever was the, the leader of the labor party at the time would be on the balcony of the Royal County hotel and, and would wave them all. And, and, it, and it was one of the big social events of the summer in Durham. Right. And I used to stand there thinking, God, you know, Obviously, the Royal County is the place where it's all happening today. And yeah. I just became fascinated with the fact that, that wherever you were, whichever part of the country, the, the, the local main hotel was probably where, you know, it was, it was things were happening. And mm. I just began, I, you know, I hate to be a little bit sort of strange about it all, but I actually obsessed about hotels. I, I wanted to go in. I wanted to just have a look around. And so it was, it was an absolute no-brainer for me to, to go into it. I think the challenge came after my O-levels. I left school in Durham and, um, and went to a, a, a great school in Newcastle, a very academic school. And um, the challenge there was the fact that when I said to the careers advisor, and obviously this is well before the days of, uh, of, of, of the internet and being able to look up things online, you go and see a careers advisor and he sits you down and he says, right, Andrew, you know, you're in the, the lower sixth, you're going to do your A-levels next year. What career are you looking to do? Mm. And I said, well, I want to be a hotel manager. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Andrew, shouldn't you be thinking about a proper job? You know, I think you'd be really? ideal. Yeah, he, said, he actually said to me, he said, I think you'd be an ideal quantity surveyor. Now, I've met a few quantity <laughs> surveyors in, in, in my later life. And, and, you know, I've got a couple of them who are good friends. So, you know, I don't in any way want to offend the whole industry, but I am not a quantity surveyor. You know, I just absolutely not. Yeah. So, so I held out and I said, no, 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 I want to, you know, I want to do hotel management. And of course he had no idea whatsoever of where to do it or whatever, because they just had no records at RGS school in Newcastle of, of, of people doing hotel management. So I asked some friends and ended up going off to, to, to Blackpool College to do hotel, hotel catering and institutional management. That's a fine phrase, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in those days, two universities, I think, in the, in, in the UK did it, Surrey and Strathclyde. And then there was what, the what institutional management. Institutional in management. I think. I think basically you learn how how to serve food in prisons, from what I could work out. But um, right. Yeah, and and yeah. So two universities did, and there was a, quite a few good polytechnics that did it, like Manchester, Huddersfield. I had interviews all there, and, but I, I went to Blackpool because that had the great reputation. 
at the time and had three great years there. Got to know a lot of people who I still know to this day. And then, strangely enough, because of my association with the Northeast, did the milk round of, of the companies offering the, the sort of graduate trainee scheme. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, the companies who were interviewing me, very few of them exist now. You know, Stackies offered me. Uh, right. Ladbrook Hotels, remember them before they built like Hilton, Dragonaras. Yeah, Ladbrook's offered me. Crest Hotels offered me. But I chose Swallow because I was from the Northeast and Swallow Hotels were owned by Vaux Brewery in Sunderland. And I just wanted to join a company I trusted. Yeah. So I joined them on their graduate trainee program and did a couple of years with them. And they had me at the beginning in Newcastle and then they took me down to London to the their hotel in London, which is now the Marriott on Cromwell Road. But again, back in the day was the London International Hotel, and I did quite a bit of time there. Then I went up to God, Dundee. It just shows you how things changed, doesn't it? Oh, it, it is. It is. It is. Then I went up to Dundee. I mean, going from London to Dundee was 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 quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the, the swallow at Invergary, and then I ended up in Carlisle, at the hilltop in Carlisle. And had two great years and, and you know, learned a lot and Swallow were great. Absolutely fantastic at, at, at teaching you the basics and they had me working in all the areas and, and all the rest of it. But by then I was beginning to think, hold on, there, there must be bigger and better hotel companies out there. I'd sort of begun to regret the fact that I'd sort of joined a, a, a very regional company. Mm. And I, I didn't think I could get immediately into the sort of five-star bracket, but I thought I need to sort of go to a bigger hotel, a better hotel. Right. And I saw an advert in the caterer because, again, back in the day, and I know in, you know, in your line of business, you know, th- things have changed a lot in recruitment. But back in the day, if you wanted a job, one of the main things you did was you bought the caterer and hotel keeper, as it was then, and you flicked to the back, and they had all the job adverts, and there was pages yeah, of them. Well, I, I, I remember the day, even before um, uh, the job boards were kind of becoming yep. more prominent, uh, I, I remember that very magazine um, as well. That's just it's just incredible how things have changed, isn't, isn't it? it? So, and I saw an advert for the Devere Hotel Coventry, and they wanted an assistant manager. And so I posted my CV off, and they invited me down for an interview, and they offered me a job. And the, and the Devere Coventry was a two hundred bedroomed, nice four star hotel, big conference and banqueting. And also, they were offering me nearly double what I was on at Swallow Hotels, which, of course, when you're sort of 22, 23 years old, yeah, that sort of mattered. So took that job, and suddenly my eyes were opened. I mean, now it's not a very nice hotel. It still exists. It's not a Devere. Uh, I won't name the, the, the company that now own it, but it is, I think, sometimes voted the, the ugliest hotel in, in the UK. But um, I, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, we'll, exactly. We'll, we'll move on. Exactly. And... Um, <laughs> But I was very fortunate to join a hotel with a general manager who was really the first of my my two mentors in in my career called Patrick Griffin. And and, and Griff was just absolutely fantastic at doing things in a stylish way, even though we were there in Coventry. And and, and strangely enough, Patrick Griffin has just written his his memoirs and and he, he went on to be MD of Orient Express in Australia for many years. But at the time, he was general manager there. Uh, he, he drove a Ferrari, <laughs> which is, you know, Ferrari around Coventry in the, the mid-80s was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> and, attention. Yes, yeah. But he did things with style and he did things with elegance. And I, I, I remember one day 
showing him some promotion that I wanted to do in, in, in a restaurant. And he obviously didn't want to sort of completely deflate me with his comments. But he did say, Andrew, that's very good. He said, but I do think it's rather Ladbrookish. And, <laughs> and, and, and to this day, it's a phrase I use. It's, it's a little bit Ladbrookish. But, and I think people think that um, I think his reference with the Ladbrook Hotel Group, which were a commercial hotel group, but they had some nice hotels. But nevertheless, he did things with style and panache and what have you. And, and, and I, I had two fantastic years there with him. And, and, and to the degree by then, Devere Hotels had been bought by Greenall Whitley or Greenalls as they became, the, the, the Warrington Brewer. Right. And they were injecting some money. And then they moved me just down the road, five miles down to, to Kenilworth to be deputy general manager at the De Montford in Kenilworth, which is now a Holiday Inn. And I think it's got a, I think it's got a Costa Coffee or a Starbucks or something as well. So it shows you how global branding has moved to even places like Kenilworth. Mm. And um, yeah, I did. I was deputy general manager there and I did that for 18 months. And then because... Because Greenalls owned Devere, the next stage was to be general manager, but they then wanted to put you in one of their sort of pubs with rooms back in the Northwest where they had a number of them because they were the old sort of pubs with rooms that, that the brewery had. And I yeah. just didn't see my career going th in that direction to a sort of 25, 30 bedroom hotel that was predominantly food and beverage orientated. I wanted to go on to bigger and better hotels. Mm. So um, again, well, no, what happened then was an ex- uh, general manager of, of, of Devere had started his own hotel company and it, it, he was quite a legend in Devere. He was a chap called David Lloyd-Jones. We all knew him as DLJ. He, 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 I was trying to work out how to describe him. He, he looked like a sort of Tory grandee. He was sort of, he was, you know, he was, he was a sort of Nicholas Soames type sort of big chap, but dressed in pinstripe suit. To this day, I, I always used to know when he was coming down the corridor because I'd smell his eau sauvage aftershave five year, you know, five seconds before I saw him. Yeah, uh, I put it off me for life. And, but, <laughs> but but David Lord Jones was was starting a hotel company that was funded by the Merchant Navy Pension Fund, and the company was called Clipper Hotels because, as I say, it was Merchant Navy backed, and they'd bought a hotel in the Channel Islands in Jersey called Hotel Lorizon that still exists to this day, and it's a lovely hotel, mm. and and. David Lord Jones said, I need a number two there if you want to go out there and be number two to Gerald Fletcher at Lorizon. So I was sort of, uh, this was what, 1989, I was 25, 26. And the thought of going to somewhere like the Channel Islands, you know, it's positively exotic. Yeah. So moved out there and did a couple of years out there and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. But by 1991, I think I'm right. Well, that was, that was, the Gulf War, but we were going into recession. And it was sort of, I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to end up next. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. And, and, and it's a story I repeat. I, I do some lectures at a, at a, a hotel school here in the UK. And I always tell this sto story to the, the, the students there. I was basically working the floor on a Saturday night, you know, dinner jacket on, walking around the hotel, chatting, chat, uh, chatting to guests, just seeing that they were all all right. And I was in the cocktail bar and there's a pianist playing. And we had three restaurants at, at Lorizon. So not everybody in the hotel was necessarily staying. So you'd just go up and find out, first of all, were they staying? If so, were they enjoying their stay? Is there anything I can get you? Or if not, just, you know, are you here to dine in one of the restaurants? Mm. And there was, there was two ladies sat there. There was a lady who was probably of, of, of retirement age and a younger lady, probably around 40 years old. And it turned out it was a mother and daughter. And I introduced myself and said, are you staying in the hotel or just here for a bite to eat? And they said, no, we're eating in the Star Grill. 
And I said, that's nice. And the, the, the mum said, yeah, I live here in St. Helier and my daughter's come across this weekend to, uh, to, to uh, uh, just say hello. And we thought we'd come out for dinner. I said, that's nice. So I talked to them for 10 minutes, as you would do. Yep. And at the end, the daughter said to me, she said, have you got a business card? And I said, yeah, and I, I hand it across. She said, thank you. She said, because if I'm ever coming again, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout in advance. And I said, that would be lovely. So thought nothing more of it and uh, just wandered on my way and, and, and went and had a chat to other guests. And about three or four days later, a letter came in the post. Again, it's pre-email oh, and things like that. A letter. A letter, a crispy letter. It was, and, oh, it, my goodness. and, it, and it was also, I, I do recall, it was also, you know, on, on lovely weighted paper. You know, it wasn't just on, on photocopy paper. It was, a, it was a proper letter. And I opened yeah, it up. Yeah, God, those were the days, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, it was. I opened it up. And basically, it was a dear Andrew. I met you last Saturday. You weren't to know, but my name is Terry Eastaff, and I'm senior vice president of human resources for Hilton International. <laughs> and oh. uh, and she said uh, I was really impressed by you know what you did, the way that you, you you came across. Would you ever be interested in joining Hilton if I had the right position for you? And she then gave me her a number. She said, "Give me a call." So that I thought. My God, this is this is wonderful. So I picked up the phone and had a chat to Terry and said, "Yeah, I'd love to, but you know, I'm interested perhaps in going overseas, but I don't have languages apart from O-level French, etc." And she said, "Well, yeah. Andrew, you know, we do have those roles." Six weeks later, she called me back and said, "Andrew, would you be interested in going as number two for Hilton in Dubai?" <laughs> huh? Huh. Now this was this was in 1991, end of the Gulf War, and the first and and, and I I was listening to to to. A, a previous podcast of yours where you were talking to, 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 to Mark, who's, who's, who runs Accor. And he was talking about running the, the, the Ritz Carlton, I think in, in, in Dubai. And, yeah, yeah. And, and he said that, you know, he was there in Dubai at, at, at the beginning before they'd built all the high towns. I can assure you, yes, he was there at the beginning, but when I was there, we didn't even have a Ritz Carlton, which shows you how long ago, you know? So. Right. Right. God, nobody... so it really wasn't, I suppose. No on the map at all at it that wasn't. point it wasn't it, it i went out there january 92 end of the gulf war and it was a great life because no everybody thought everybody thought we were in the middle of the desert in saudi arabia you know hilton head office in in, in watford i think probably thought oh we won't go out there because you know it's a it's a tough gig out there well actually mm. it was fine because there were so few international five-star hotels there that the ones that were there were doing very well for themselves. And whilst the yeah. rest of Europe was, 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 you know, in recession, we had a great time. The other thing I'll just freely admit to is the fact I wasn't involved in the hotel out there. What I didn't realize until I went out there is that Hilton had a, two operations. They had the Hilton Hotel, which was next to Dubai World Trade Center. And then adjacent to that, they had a separate operation, which I was number two for, which was called, and the business card was a very long one. Um, it said it was, Hilton Dubai World Trade Center apartments and operations. And, <laughs> and, and fundamentally, we had 498 service departments. So that was massive. Three, And I think they're still there to this day. But we also ran the exhibition halls and we ran Dubai World Trade Center itself and did all the services. Dubai World Trade Club on the top. And yeah, I was, th I was there for three years and, and, and loved it. And this was the early 90s. So 
a small expat community. We all got an invite to the Brit uh, British consulate for the Queen's birthday celebrations because literally there was one list, I think, of about two pages of Brits who lived in, in, in Dubai. We all knew oh, each other. We'd I can't all... believe that. Just 30 years and the, yeah. The, yeah. the change is just nuts. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll be honest, I've only been back to Dubai once since then. I didn't like it because it wasn't the way I remembered it. You know, right. because because there was no problems at all with traffic when I was there. There was there's and if you were going from A to B, if there wasn't a direct road, you just went across the sand. You know, there was it was it was simple as that. And it had perhaps a different group of people there to the, the, the people who were there now. I think perhaps back then there were people who were making a lot of money out of just being the forerunners to what it's become now. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them may have moved on to other parts of the world. But we, I mean, quite honest, we had a good life. You know, we were on the tennis court at six o'clock every night. You know, I mean, you know, the, we, <laughs> we had a good life and it was great. And I had three great years there. But unfortunately, we lost the management contract. And it, right. because this was the beginning of educated locals who'd been to university either in UK or America coming back to, to Dubai to take over the, the the main roles and they were coming back and they were incredibly well informed and the first thing they spotted was the fact that we had hotels that were filling irrespective of the fact that we had Hilton above the door or not right but also they were uh, you know just in the infancy of beginning to build the hotels that were the forerunners the original five-star hotels you know this was before Jumeirah International even existed in fact Gerald Lawless who I think started Jumeirah International he he was regional director for Forte Hotels when I was in in Dubai you know I mean this was this was way back when yeah but we lost the management contract and basically they 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 closed they closed the operation I was in down and just ran it themselves without having Hilton above the door and without paying Hilton fees and so Hilton said oh we'll move you somewhere else and they said we'll move you to Jakarta, Indonesia. And I went down and had an interview and everything was was going ahead. And then I discovered that the Indonesian authorities weren't prepared to give me a work visa. And uh, and there was politics involved with the owning company in the Hilton in Indonesia. And so Hilton said, okay, if you're not going to go to Indonesia, come back to the UK and you'll be general manager of a Hilton National. If you recall, Hilton had Hilton Nationals for a while, which were the sort of mid-tier Hiltons. I right. Just, okay. I I actually. I'm sorry. I don't recall. <laughs> that that they, was just they, be they before Hilton, my time. I think Hilton National. Yeah, yeah. And and I just thought, no, I don't want to do that. And so I took a chance, and I came back to the UK without a job. And I thought I'll base myself in London. My family, a couple of members of my family, lived there, so I sort of slept on the sofa. Did the call round of all the the, the headhunters, and three months later, I was in South Africa. Simple as that. Blame me. you you. <laughs> Very transient, yeah. In your uh, yeah. in your early career, yeah. You know, and 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 so went back to London, had an interview, few interviews, and ended up being interviewed by the chief exec of Southern Sun Hotels, as was they're now Zogo Sun, but they were called Southern Sun Hotels. Yeah, uh, and he he was called Helder Pereira, who then became RBH here in the UK. God, yeah. Well, Helder back in the day was. Uh, uh, a very, very dynamic chief exec of Southern Sun in South Africa. And right. he, inter he interviewed me at the Mayfair Intercontinental Hotel. I don't think it's Intercon any more, but it was back then, the, the Mayfair Intercon. And he came and picked me up in reception and, uh, you know, shook hands. And he said, 
let's go back to my suite. I'm interviewing upstairs in my suite and literally now walk back from the hotel reception to his, the suite, we were just having a chat. And, and I naturally said, uh, you know, I was asking what, what he was doing whilst he was in the UK, apart from interviewing. And he said, oh, I'd been in Cardiff last weekend. And I mean, I love all forms of sport, rugby included. And I knew for yep. a fact that, that Wales had played South Africa the previous Saturday. So I just casually said to, to Helder, oh, were you there for the, for the rugby? Because South Africa had won. And he said, yes. And he sort of lit up because I'd, I'd, I'd obviously had an interest in rugby. And, and by the time I'd got back to the room, Helder had practically already offered me a job, <laughs> purely, purely, purely based on the fact I knew my rugby. So he probably already thought, well, this is the type of guy who can settle in quickly to South Africa. Yeah, so, Do you know what the 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 well, I mean, it's religion out there, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah. rugby. It's uh, but it also shows you how important it is to have a a human connection beyond the bones of the job. Any, you're absolutely right, and 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 you know when you talk about being in hospitality, it's about, to my mind, one of the key things is is that if 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 you're walking towards a guest, acknowledge them before they acknowledge you. You know, make sure you have eye contact. If you're in a lift with any guests, whatever, please open up a conversation with the guests. You know, make yeah. them, make them as, as feel as relaxed, as hospi- hospitable as possible. And I managed to do that with Helder. And so he basically offered me a job and said, listen, you know, this was, this was the end of 94. Uh, Nelson Mandela had come into power March that year. So it was just opening up. And they had Rugby World Cup in 1995, the following year. Of course year. So, so, yeah. So... So Helder said, yeah, and, and, and he said, listen, I've got a job for you as number two in, in Cape Town. And I said, yes. And he said, yeah, we've just, we've just recruited a, a well-known British general manager who has worked in South Africa in the past, but he's going to come back. And he, 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 his name is Harry Murray. And, oh, my God. And I, and I sort of took a step back and, and, you know, just as you have just then just said you know my god or whatever you know for those of us who've been in uk hospitality over the past 20 30 years you know harry murray Mm. is up there you know he is to this day you know the original legend of 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 hotel management and and you know harry needed a number two so I, i i jumped at it so i landed on in december the 10th 1994 in cape town the sun was out the sky was blue as i said and i went there as 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 harry's number two however However, three days after starting with Harry, Halder called me and said, Andrew, I've been thinking, maybe I don't want you in Cape Town. And I went, ugh. He said, yeah. He says, we've got this massive project in uh, in Durban. He said, uh, we're going to rebrand a 445-bedroomed hotel as a holiday in Crown Plaza. Wow. Would you go and assist the, the general manager? And I thought, oh, well, I actually have come to South Africa to, to be in Cape Town. But, but I thought, well, Let's go. So I said to Helder, Helder, can I go and have a look? And of course, this is when I realized that, that, that South Africa is a bigger place than I'm, I'm used to. And it was a two hour flight from Cape Town to Durban. Yeah, yeah. Went there, met the general manager, Norman Wallace, at the Allen Hotel. And they were about to rebrand it as the Holiday in Crown Plaza Durban in time for Rugby World Cup 95. Right. And it, yeah. and it, seemed, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I thought, yeah, I'll do that. So by then, they recruited somebody to replace me at the Cape Sun. But Harry and I had gotten really well, and that was to to sort of last a lifetime. Um, well, I think he's a rugby fan as well. Harry, Harry is, yeah. In fact, his time in Cape Town, I think it was at every single Western Province as they were then. Really, yeah, <laughs> home game. That and Manchester United, but we all have our problems in life. 
Indeed, yes, I and, couldn't agree more. And uh, so I moved to Durban, and this this vast hotel, the Ellangeni, four hundred and forty five bedrooms, comes bounty for two thousand. And they were attempting to refurbish the whole place whilst operating in six months. And it was just chaos. I mean, there's no other word for it. It was mm. just, I mean, they were drilling up the marble in reception and we were still open. I mean, it was just right. bonkers. <laughs> it was because Helder was so adamant that it was going to be ready for Rugby World Cup 1995. And what I'd learned at a fairly early stage was that you don't say no to Helder Pereira. Right. And... Um, yeah, so and we got it open. We got it open. Well, it was stayed open, but we got it refurbished in time for for Rugby World Cup. And I was fortunate enough to to then experience Rugby World Cup '95 in South Africa. Oh um, wow, that must have been awesome. It, it was. I mean, it was it was such an optimistic time. Such yeah. an optimistic time. We had all the teams staying with us. Durban was the base for the England group games. I seem to recall. It was just, I mean, the, 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 the uh, you know, if you can just imagine, Nelson Mandela had just come into power. They then had the Rugby World Cup. It was just such a memorable experience. And yeah, lives with me to this day. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, so I did that and I thought, well, I wonder what happens now. And of course, I then got a phone call from, from Helder saying, Andrew, will you come up and see me in Johannesburg tomorrow morning or something? I think you might have given me all the 12 hours notice to get myself to <laughs> Johannesburg. And I went up there. He said, I want to move you up the road to the Beverly Hills because that's in a place called Umschlanger Rocks, just outside Durban. It, it, it's a gorgeous resort area. And um, Helder had, had done a deal to rebrand three hotels in South Africa with the Intercontinental Badge. And right. the Beverly Hills, well, so Sands and Sun and Towers in Johannesburg, the Cape Sun, Harry's Place in, in, in Cape Town, and the Beverly Hills. And we were all rebranding later on that year as Intercontinentals. And he said, I want to take, I want you to move up there and take over as general manager. And I was flabbergasted. It was, uh, I was 32 years old. Uh, wow. And I was about to move in as general manager of Intercontinental. And I, to be quite honest, I thought, hold on, um, I'm going to be found out here. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it, do you know, it shows you, there's a couple of things there that what one, you need people to sometimes see something in you that you don't see yourself. Yep. Especially in the earlier parts of your your career, but also the the, the fact that you know if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yep. Like age shouldn't be a a barrier if you if you've got the capability. Oh, could, couldn't agree more. And I think I think that stayed with me to this day. And 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 you know, having said that. I'm now 57 and I like to remind people that, 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 you know, I'm, I'm still also very good at this age because I've got all the experience. So, you know, it depends who I'm yeah, talking yeah. to, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and Helder put his trust in me. And so I took over the, the, the Beverly Hills. Uh, we rebranded as Intercontinental and had a really good time there, but they ended up also refurbishing that, that uh, hotel. And again, we got carried away with the refurbishment to the degree that this time we closed it. Because it, it we and, and we closed it just for three months, but at the time we were determined to reopen the hotel in time for a horse race. Bizarrely enough, there was a big horse race called the Rothmans Handicap in in Durban, and right. all of all of the sort of all of the the, the wealthy uh, from from Johannesburg used to fly down for the weekend, and it was believed that we should reopen for that weekend because then we'd have the opportunity to show the new Beverly Hills Sun Intercontinental off to you know the great and the good of johannesburg who were down for the horse racing so we sort of that was that was the date that we said we would reopen of course we were full and 
it was we weren't ready <laughs> to put it bluntly. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I always I, I remember on the morning on the Friday when we were re- reopening the horse races on the Saturday. I remember on the Friday waking up and thinking, this is going to be a long day. That was the first thing that was in my mind. <laughs> and I thought, and as you do when you run a hotel, you then have got two options. You can either hide or you can take the pain and get out front and deal with the issues. And I thought, you know, I like to think that I've always led by example. And I thought, no, I'm going to be in the hotel lobby all day. And when people arrive and see that we're still painting and what have you, then I'll just deal with it. So I spent yeah. my whole day there in the lobby, meeting and greeting people who'd just flown down, or as I say, and by and large, they were absolutely thrilled to see the new Beverly Hills in all its glory, and it was going really well. And then, and then this family checked in, and they had interconnecting rooms, and uh, I could see uh, our head receptionist Priya behind the desk. I can see it as, as clear as mud today, actually. Priya on the phone to the head housekeeper and she put the phone down and said to the the, the, the the gentleman checking in, he had two kids. I remember her saying, yeah, you've got interconnecting rooms. One room's ready. The other one isn't quite ready. And so Priya said, here's the keys to room whatever number and I'll let you know when the other room is ready. And so they took their rooms and I'd said hello and all the rest of it. And um Five five minutes later, the gentleman came back down, and I could tell as he strode out of the lift that he wasn't happy. Yeah. Uh, Body language tells you everything. I, I sort of thought, right, I'm going to do it. So I went up and said, hello, sir. How, how's your room? Mine's fine, he said. He said, but the other room, I said, well, yes, I did hear Priya saying that, that we'd let you know uh, when the other room was ready. He said, do you know what state the other room is in? And I sort of went, well, no. He said, well, he said, unfortunately for you, he said, he said, the interconnecting door wasn't locked. He said, so I opened it up. He said, you're still hanging wallpaper in there. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, yeah, I, I don't think we charged him for that room that night. I think we did get the room to him about three hours later, but I think the wallpaper was probably still moving on the walls. Right, um, yeah. But God, yeah. The, well, the, that's uh, a whole new meaning to yeah. finishing housekeeping. Oh, Oh, but yeah, and it, it was great. And I, I love the Beverly Hills and I've never been back and I really must. And it still exists. I look at it online and see the reviews and it, it, it's, you know, it's just a gorgeous hundred bedroom, five-star hotel overlooking the sea, the Indian Ocean. Uh, and I had a great time. And, and for me, I was so fortunate that that was my first GM's position in such a, a, a an exclusive, lovely hotel with fantastic staff, you know, absolutely yeah. wonderful. What I love about that story is the the fact that you were kind of willing to, you know, I mean, in principle, that's what a GM should do, right? Is, is especially in a, a time like that yeah. where things are not quite ready and not quite perfect, is as you say, be the be the front end of the pencil basically, yeah. and yeah, yeah. and take it all. But what that does for the the staff is probably just gives them a moment where they go, ah, right, okay, we're not alone here. Um, if we've got some crap to deal with, then I know that you know that Andrew is just right yeah. there. Couldn't agree more. And and, and I, I I think you have to do that no matter what stage you are, what job title you are. You know, just going back to Harry Murray, and Harry became my mentor in South Africa. And 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 you know, Harry to this Not day a bad would, mentor. Oh, I mean, he, to this <laughs> day, absolutely. Well, I I'll tell you a story about Harry in a moment. I mean, you know, he he would. It goes back, there used to be, is there that, um, one of the first sort of management gurus, Tom Peters, Tom Peters, 
I mean, he was way ahead of everybody else about 30 years ago. And he used to talk about management through walkabouts. And Harry used to practice it. Mm. But Harry used to say that he wasn't walking around to check up on the team. He was walking around to engage with his team, to see if he could help and assist them, to offer them encouragement. And, you know, that has stayed with me to this day. You know, we're not walking around dragging a finger to see if there's dust on the on on the dado rail or whatever we're walking around yeah. first and foremost to to a to be seen but secondly to be the support that you have to be to your team because if you're not then you're not going to get 100% commitment absolutely not and and, yeah. and harry was yeah. you know Har- harry taught me so much about that taught me so much about that but just just on the subject of harry a couple of years back since i've been at goodwood i had a really good guy here uh, but he'd only worked at Goodwood uh, for a number of years. And I thought, I really must get him to see another operation. So I called Harry up and said, Harry, I've got this chap here. Can I just send him to Luckman Park, where he's still chairman to this day? I said, mm. can he just spend a few days working with your team? And of course, he said, yes, absolutely fantastic. So he went up there for four or five days. And the following week, the gentleman in question came back. And I sat with him and said, well, how was your, how was your week at Luckman Park? Oh, fantastic, Andrew. They looked after me and I did one day, you know, with the with the restaurant manager and one day with the front of house manager and one and, and they'd obviously just completely looked after him. And he said, and you know what? On the final day, Mr. Murray asked to see me and had a chat to me for an hour. And I said, well, I said, you're very fortunate that Harry found the time. But I have to say also that's typical of Harry. Yeah. And he said, and do you know what Harry said to me? I said, what? He said, he told me to leave Goodwood. And I thought, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Harry. And and basically, Harry had said, "You need to get out and get experience in other places." And 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 to be fair to this guy, he he, he left me within six months. But he, we still know him, and we still keep in contact. But you know, Harry being Harry, he'd also he, he'd also sort of given him the best the best possible advice, even if it meant moving on from Goodwood. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I I think that's also great leadership from you both. Because uh, you know, when you had, sometimes it is it, it, people have to fly the nest, right, yep. to to get yep. the yep. Uh, the best of themselves, and uh, and you can get stale if you stay in the same place for for too long. No, Everybody's different, of course, but um, and I'm thinking about Harry here because he definitely doesn't come across as being stale. But no, um, no, I mean, you've you, sorry, you've only you've only got to see how much to this day he tweets and he's got stuff yeah. on LinkedIn, and it's all about people. It's it, you know. It's all about how great his staff are or other people's staff are or about charities. I mean, you know, Harry, okay, he's got his MBE for services to hospitality, but, you know, absolute star. And I'm just I'm so fortunate to have, have been able to sort of get to know him and work with him. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I'm going to get him on the podcast, so we don't need to make this about him. <sighs> Exactly. Exactly. He'll, that, that'll be a three-hour one. Will that? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I'll do that. I'll do it in two, two or yeah. three parts. No, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but unfortunately, just going back. So we're in South Africa, and 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 I don't know. South Africa was a difficult time in terms of security, in terms of just feeling safe. I was married by then, and and it wasn't necessarily my wife, but it was just we we just agreed that maybe South Africa in the longer term wasn't the place for us, and. Um, as these things happen and very much your industry, Phil, but, but headhunter came on the phone just at the right time oh. and, and said, I have a habit of that. Don't yeah. We? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Andrew. And I said, hi, Dion. And she said, uh, 
do you know Jamie Case? And I said, that's a name from the past in my Hilton days. He said, yeah, yeah, well, he's now working for a, a, a Singapore-based company, but he's running a hotel in Langkawi in Malaysia. And the owning company who he works for are building another hotel next door, and he needs a general manager. Would you be interested? And, of course, I mean, Langkawi, I had to get the map out straight away because I hadn't got a clue where it was. And basically, I ended up being offered a job to be general manager of the Andaman in Langkawi. And I, the, the, the bizarre thing was I took uh, over as general manager two weeks after it had opened. They tried to open it with a previous general manager, and he just failed miserably. So they sort of pulled right. him out. And, and Jamie, who ran the Datai next door, and the Datai to this day is one of the most fabulous hotels in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, well, I think that's it's well known worldwide. It is. It is. So, so the, the owning company owned the Datai, and it was so successful under GHM that they'd built the Andaman next door but they tried to open it without using GHM as the management company and had failed. And so they gave it to, uh, to GHM and said, get a general manager in there. And, and, and so I'd sort of known Jamie and, and I ended up in, in, in Langkawi in the jungle on the beach, uh, two weeks after this 188 bedroom, five-star hotel had opened. And of course that's the worst time to go into a hotel just after it's open. Cause it's chaos basically. Yeah. <laughs> and they got rid of the general manager because it was chaos. Um, and yeah, and yeah, and that was chaos of your, of not your making this yeah, time as yeah. well, wasn't it? And, so... and, oh, and we had we had ridiculous labour turnover. I think I think we lost Malaysian staff don't like confrontation, so they didn't want to resign. So what they'd just wait to do is the la- wait until the last day of the month when they got paid, and then disappear into the night. Right. And I remember the first month I was there on the first of February. I remember one of the team coming into my office and saying, Andrew, you just need to be made aware of the fact that, that 35 staff have disappeared overnight. And it's like, blow my neck. Um, you know, I welcome like, to Malaysia. Well, welcome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we stabilized it and we got a new management team in place and yeah, 188 bedroom, five-star hotel, 360 staff we opened with. Occupancy was very low. But, but over the period of that summer, it, it picked up and, and I'd been there nine months and was thinking, well, you know what? I've signed a two-year contract to run this hotel. I, I can see it out. And one day the phone went and it was the owning company in, in Kuala Lumpur. And it was one of my contacts there, Che Mokhtar. And Che Mokhtar called me up and said, Andrew, he said, I just want to check when, 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 um, when we take over again, you will be staying on as general manager, won't you? And I, I sort of went, Che Mokhtar, what? What, what's all this about? <laughs> He said, oh, Andrew, hasn't, hasn't anybody told you? He said, GHM, who obviously I worked for, he said, we never actually signed a management contract with them. He said, so, so we've decided to take it back. And, and I was just aghast. Yeah. And I went, oh, well, yeah. So I you know, put the phone down, immediately spoke then to my boss, to Jamie, first of all, but then to my boss, Hans Yenny in Singapore, and said, Mr. Yenny, uh, I've just been told that, that GHM are, are, are being thrown out of the Andaman. And he went, Andrew, I'm very sorry to say, he said, because they pulled us in at such short notice to take over the hotel, we never actually agreed a management contract and we still haven't. And now they've kicked us out because you're doing too good a job and they don't think they need us. And wow. I thought, ah. So God, that, that gives encouragement to everyone out there who's who's <laughs> stuffed up in business, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But this is, this is also, you know, when you talk about management contracts, particularly in that part of the world, you know, they also knew that they had a management contract in place next door at the Datai. 
and GHM did not want to lose the Datai, and it, I guess it could have been terminated. So it's also a question of, do you want to push it with us on this one, or are you just going to accept it? And Mr. Right. Yenny said, you know, Andrew, we, you know, there's nothing we can do, and I understand that you just want to uh, 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 probably just now stay on and run it for, 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 for the company who own it. He said, but if you are thinking that you don't want to do that, can I just tell you about something else? He said, um, he said because I'm based in Singapore, he said, I know for a fact that Raffles are about to start a, a, a worldwide uh, brand. He said, and they're about to buy Brown's Hotel in London. And I went, really? He said, <laughs> and they want a British general manager with Asian experience. And they've asked me if I know anybody. He said, and you're the obvious person. And so, yeah, mm. I was on the next flight down to, to Singapore, which is only an hour's flight from Langkawi. Met the legendary lady who ran Raffles, Jenny Chua, Miss Chua. And yeah, a couple of months later, I was back in London after having quite a few years overseas running Brown's yeah. Hotel. And that's how I got back to the UK. Wowee. I mean, <laughs> you got you don't take us the wrong way. You have been around. I've been around indeed. That's right. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it, it, it's, but if you look at hospitality, you know, that is one of the great opportunities. You know, it's a, it's a transferable skill. It's a transferable skill. Okay. Obviously now I think more and more countries are trying to not rely on the expat general manager, but nevertheless, for, for me, I, I had so many great years and, and to be in a place like Lankawi, I actually went back to Lankawi about 15 months ago for the first time. Right. And stayed in the hotel. Unfortunately, by the way, the hotel has since had a really bad fire, so it's closed currently. But it was oh, fab- it was fabulous, fabulous just to see twenty years on how the hotel had evolved. It's now Marriott. It's a Starwood uh, luxury collection hotel, but it's still a fantastic <laughs> hotel. And I was so proud to. Uh, and there's two members of staff who were who were there from when we opened, still. And I met them both and had a chat to them both and what have you. And at the same time, obviously, had had a good excuse to go next door to the Datai. Yeah. So, yeah, no, but um, it, it is one of the great benefits of our wonderful industry, isn't it, that, that, that you can travel? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, clearly you had a, a willingness in the early part of your career to do just that, you know, to, to go and see. It sounds like you kind of, rather than it being a fully strategic decision, it was like opportunity presented itself and yeah. you thought, well, hey, why not? Let's couldn't, do this. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. There's, there's no plan. There still isn't a plan. Yeah. Don't tell your boss that. Yeah, exactly. No, no. I, I, but I, I, I do think, and I've got a couple of friends who are equally like that. You know, I've, I, you know, who people who have, who have just sort of found their way into the next job. I mean, so, so, you know, and and we, if you think it's right, just go for it. Um, mm. And you know, if it's not right, well, then you can always sort it out. But for me, it, it, it's worked. And yeah, I ended up back in London running Browns. Raffles had just bought it from 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 Forte. Uh, if you recall, Forte had a lot of, 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 of gorgeous hotels in the centre of London, but were beginning to sell them off. And in the same year, they sold the Hyde Park to Mandarin Oriental and, and Browns to Raffles. Right. So yeah. so there I was as, as GM of Browns and did a year there. It's quite an interesting time. Raffles literally were just starting their, their international brand. And it was quite quite difficult for them to relinquish any form of 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 responsibility onto the GM. I mean, I used to dread going to work in the morning. Again, this was before the internet, so I used to dread walking to my office 
because they were eight hours ahead because there'd be just reams of fax paper on the floor of all right. of the faxes that they'd sent during the day because by then, by the time I was at work at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever, it was four o'clock in the afternoon with them. And um, it, it, it was quite tough because they had to learn as well how, how to try and develop a brand. And they didn't really know. They had, they had raffles in, in Singapore, but they, they, they did not have, uh, 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 you know, SOPs. They didn't have any form of idea of what raffles meant overseas. And so that, it was quite an interesting time with hindsight. I think at the time I'd have called it other things. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's probably as well, because they're, if it's the first time that they're expanding the, the brand as well, and of course raffles is such a yep. synonymously uh, luxurious brand, yep. Within its you know its place in Singapore, the uh, the original, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily automatically translate that you take what works there and and just you know cookie cutter it and put it somewhere else. That that's going to actually be the case. To to totally agree. To and, and that was one of the the many challenges that we had. I mean, I I remember the first time Jenny Chua came to London, and she was on the overnight flight from Singapore. So we sent a a, a a car to pick her up at Heathrow and she arrived back at, at Brown's in Albemarle Street at about 7am and I'm stood there on the doorstep, you know, to do the meet and greet and Miss Charles got out. Yeah. Exactly. And she got out <laughs> the car and I shook her hand and I said, you know, you know, Miss Charles, welcome to, to Brown's. And she stood there and I could tell, well, you know, I could tell that there was a bad smell in the air or something, you know, there was, she was not happy. Mm. And I said, is everything all right, Miss Charles? And she said, and she pointed at, at the doormat and it had the Browns Hotel logo on, logo on. And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking, is it dirty or, you know, is it worn or anything like that? And I thought it all looks immaculate. She said, I can't walk across that. And I went, why is that? She said, Andrew, she said, in Singapore, it would be disrespectful to walk across the logo of the hotel. She said, can we just change it, please, immediately to just a plain mat with no logo on it? And I thought, oh Lord! I thought I, you know, I thought I'd come from Asia, and and suddenly we had all of these challenges around, you know, people like Miss Tra coming in and and absolutely wanting us to change things, but not necessarily in line with what UK wanted. And it was interesting mm. times. It was it was interesting times, and, but I enjoyed it. I and I did a year there, but I I was at a I was at a master inholders dinner at the Savoy, and. Um, uh, this voice said, young Andrew, <laughs> young Andrew, what are you doing in the UK? And I turned around, it was Paul Dermody, who was, who was chief executive of Devere Hotels, who I obviously had worked for in the 80s in Coventry and, and, and Yeah. And I said, well, I'm back. I'm running Browns. He said, oh, he said, um, he said, we were talking about you the other day. And I said, why is that, Paul? He said, oh, we're buying a hotel in the Northeast. He said, you're from the Northeast, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, we're, we're, we're buying a hotel. And he said, uh, we don't really have anybody to run it because we need somebody who's from that neck of the woods. And, and would you be interested? And it was, this all happened literally over two minutes between sort of main course being cleared and, and, and dessert being served at this dinner at the Savoy. Oh, I love it. I lo yeah. that's, that's proper business right yeah. there. And I said, listen, Paul, you know, I'd love to. Uh, and, and I'll come and discuss it. So he said, give me a call. So I, I went up to, to their head office in Warrington the following week and they were buying Slaley Hall. And Slaley Hall this fantastic thousand acres of, of, well, there was one championship golf course. They were about to open a second one, but it had had yeah. a really bad start to its its life. It had been built as a Sheraton. I don't think many people know that Slaley Hall originally was built as a, a Sheraton. No, yeah, it was built as a Sheraton management contract. And there was a couple of guys who'd funded it who who had managed to persuade the bank to lend them all the money. 
And of course, there'd been cash flow problems and it never opened as a Sheraton. But as a result of that, to this day, and, and you know, I haven't been there for quite a while, but, but Slaley had magnificent back of house areas because Sheraton had obviously specced it that it must have, you know, completely separate larder, completely separate pastry area. I mean, and they just built it because there was nobody. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, it had gone bust. And so there'd been a lot, a lot of local suppliers who'd lost a lot of money there. And then it had been bought by a, 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 another company and they'd run it as a hotel, but not very well. So Devere bought it and they wanted somebody to go in there who could at least say to everybody, I'm from this area. I under, you know, I know there's a number of companies that have lost money, but don't worry, we're here for longevity, et cetera, et cetera. So I went in there um, having uh, and had six fantastic years there. That's a t- tough time to come in as well at this if the local mm. marketplace has been disenfranchised by yep. previous performance as well is that you you know you've got to basically go around and shake hands with a huge number of people i would imagine L- lack of trust everybody from the the sort of northumberland county council down to slaley parish council the golf members there were the great and the good of the northeast so they all had an opinion strangely enough yep. and on top of that you know, just so many local suppliers who who were still owed money, and of course we were not responsible for that. So, so for many months I had to listen to all of that, yeah, uh, and reassure them. But we had a couple of really lucky breaks, and I'll be quite honest. You know, at times it, things just happened, and I I, I, I don't know if you recall, but around I don't know, it must have been around two thousand, England were playing a World Cup qualifying football game in Germany. And they won 5-1. Yeah. I rem- it- that's one of those, do you remember where you were when it happens? Right. Uh, I was uh, running a kitchen service on a P&O cruise ship uh, <laughs> at the time, and I kept getting updates from the, uh, right. the senior sous chef. Yeah. And I've got no idea to this day how he was able to, to get that information in the galley in the middle of a service, but, uh, but I loved it. Well, 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 my link to it is that that was when Wembley was closed. You know, it was being rebuilt. Yeah. So... They were playing all of their home games in different parts of the country, if you recall. And the following Wednesday, they were playing another World Cup qualifier against Albania at St. James's Park. So it had already been arranged. They played that game in Munich against Germany. It already had been arranged that that night they'd fly private jet, the England team, straight out of Munich after the game, land at Newcastle, and stay at Slaley Hall until the following Wednesday because I'd built a football pitch for them. <laughs> right. uh, they, they had said, we want to stay with you, but you need to have some football facilities. And because I had two championship golf courses by then, we had the, the knowledge and know-how. So I built this football pitch for them. And so they came to us. So suddenly the world's press were on our doorstep. And so for the next four days on the build-up the Albania game, because I, if, I'm sure you recall this, Phil. I mean, nobody could believe that England had won 5-1 in Germany. And it was, no. just, it was just ridiculous. So we yeah. had the world's press there, and we got so much, so much press and publicity out of it. And it was just one of those things. And suddenly our business took off because it was the place where England stayed after they beat Germany 5-1, you know. Yeah. I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's on, on the same level as Royal Lancaster after, after England, you know, won the World Cup in 66. But nevertheless, we were associated from then on with England football team having stayed there. And what then happened was, at the time, my 
glorious team. Newcastle were also actually playing some reasonable football. So they were in the Champions League. Oh, I remember so, those days. So, so we used to have Barcelona stay. And, and, and before we knew it, we had this, this, this completely different segment of, of, of business, which was based around football teams. Yep. And then leisure business took off. And suddenly, Slaley Hall was doing incredible, incredible business. And we used to do European tour golf events as well and things like that. And so, you know, it was, it was a great time. And to the degree that after six years there, the role came available down at the Grand in Brighton, which was the, the flagship. It made the most money, 200-bedroom, five-star hotel, and they asked me to move down there on two yeah. days. I seem to recall on two days' notice. Because uh, you do everything on a, on yeah, a blend, no, don't no. you? Yeah, no, no. Well, basically, <laughs> yeah, when you, when you get moved in on two days' notice, it's normally because the previous person's been removed, let's put it that way. Right, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's never an easy handover. And I moved down to Brighton and, and did two years there and loved it. But I was bored. I'll be quite honest. I was bored. I thought, is this the rest of my life? Just, you know, running nice hotels like this. I did two party political conferences for the Labour Party when Tony Blair was in power. So, you know, we had all of that and, 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 you know, really, really good business. But I was just bored, which is when I took the decision to resign and and, and buy a dilapidated pub and turn it into a gastro pub. Wow, God, I, you know, I didn't even know that. Yeah, the, um, yeah. And, um, and and I suppose does that come about from the fact that you've? I mean, obviously you, you've had a situation like Slayley that needed yep. a lot of TLC, so mm-hmm. it's it's almost like one monumental project. And even when you've kind of turned around that negativity into a positive, you've then got to put it on the map, and that happened yep. with uh, with the England football team thing. And then you know, so while you were there, you're all there's always something to continually keep it moving forward as it were but then you go to the ground and it's kind of up and running and everything is i would agree and i think i I would agree and and i think you know we go into hospitality as well because we have a lot a lot of us have a low boredom threshold you know yeah (laughs) we, we are not built for sitting in an office all day you know processing you know working in a bank or insurance we're just not a lot yeah. of us go into hospitality because we'll sit at a desk for a while, we'll have a meeting for a while, but then we need to get up and we can actually use it as an excuse. We can say, well, I'm just going to go and walk around the hotel or walk around wherever else. Mm. And, and, and really the grand had its limitations to a certain degree. And I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to see if I could do something myself. And so about 400 yards away from, from where we lived in, 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 in Brighton was a dilapidated pub, but it was in a nice area. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, should we, should we give it a go? And she, she backed me 100%. And we bought this, this, this pub lease, punch pub lease, and pretty much did everything that you shouldn't do. We spent too much money. We closed it for three months. You know, you did all the mistakes. We bought it without planning permission for the extraction in the kitchen that it didn't have. Oh, it, it was just, it, but, you know, the naivety of it all was also the reason why it worked. And, right. we, and, and this was 2006. And I, strangely enough, I was thinking about this driving to work this morning. In 2006, when we, when we opened uh, the Preston Park Tavern as a gastropub, we decided to make it non-smoking. Now, this is, not, this is not back, you know, we're not talking about 30 years ago here. Non-smoking pubs only came in in 2007. Yeah, God, I, 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 and, you think that it's just part of the natural right. makeup now, isn't it? But- Absolutely. Well, well. The reason I know it was 2007 is that we opened in 2006 as a non-smoking gastro pub. You pioneered it. It was and, all down to you. And we'd do the menu twice a day, and we'd literally only have what was local and, and fresh and what have you. And we were non-smoking, 
And then in 2007, they brought in the non-smoking law and BBC in the UK, <laughs> they, they, they went live from two places. They went live from our pub to say, this is what the future of pubs will be like, far more food yeah. orientated, families, all of that sort of stuff. And then they also went live at Hove Dog Track, which is where obviously there was this plume of smoke as, yeah. you know, <laughs> and obviously they were compare and contrast. And and so, yeah, we had this successful gastro pub in, in the suburbs in Brighton that just took off. But it, it meant that every day, instead of me walking around with a flash suit on, you know, uh, just shaking hands with people who they arrived, I was, I was literally programming in the till, making coffees and, and working morning, noon and night. But fortunately, yeah. it, was, it, it was a success to the degree that Punch, whose lease it was, gave us a second pub. They said, listen, you've done so well with the first one. Have this one and we just give you the keys. So we then had two pubs. And then fortunately, the first pub, we managed to buy the, the, the freehold on it. And then it, made, right. and then it made the second pub pointless because the second pub, I was having to pay ridiculous prices for the beer because there was a tie on it. And so anyway, without wanting to bore you any more with it, we, we, we sold the second pub, ran the first one and developed flats above it and then sold it seven years later. So yeah. Right. And then I did a burger restaurant. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, yeah and then, uh, uh, this is awesome. Uh, yeah, the, no, no, um, uh, in my, uh, in my yeah, head, no, I was thinking no, wonderful, no. you know, really great sort of, uh, you can see, you know, from, from, Roll to roll. That yep. there's a, a, a there right. was a reason for it, yep. and all of that sort of thing. And um, and this is great. That's, but that's, that's taking your knowledge, right, and putting it into something that you feel strongly about. Yeah. Well, 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 well you're absolutely right. And what what had happened is the Preston Park Tavern. I'm sure you're familiar with the Sustainable Restaurant Association, which is the sort yep. of yeah. Well, in 2013, just before we, before we sold the pub, that the Preston Park Tavern got given the award by the SRA, the Sustainable Restaurant Association, as being the most sustainable pub in the UK, right. which was tremendously, tremendously, you know, sort of pleasing to get acknowledgement as how we were running this pub. Mm. And so we sold up and then I decided to do a burger restaurant, but I did a sort of a sustainable burger restaurant and it absolutely, in Brighton again, uh, and it absolutely took off. The only problem was it didn't make any money. <laughs> I, can right. laugh, I can laugh about it now. <laughs> It was busy but profitless. <laughs> busy fools, I think is the phrase. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so I had that for two or three years and, and just had to, you know, there, there comes a time, I think, where you've got to acknowledge the fact that, you know, not everything turns, turns to gold. Mm. And so did that and sold up and was walking the dog on the beach one day thinking, what am I going to do next? And um, just going back to my days at Slaley Hall, there'd been a, a hotel brand that was just beginning called Malmaison. Oh, yeah. And yep. the guy who'd opened Malmaison in Newcastle, who then became their chief exec, was a, a chap called Robert Cook. Yeah. And and Robert and I, and you should get Robert on, but it, it, he'll be another three-hour listen, I yeah. assure you. Are we doing three hours, are we? No, 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 no. Him and Harry, not me. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, and Robert called me up and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking the dog on the beach, Robert. Why? He said, oh, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm chief operating officer for, for, for McDonald Hotels. He said, you wouldn't like to help me out, would you? And I said, Robert, I haven't been in hotels for 10 years because by then I'd been out of hotels for 10 years. He said, mm. just, he said I just need somebody to run four hotels for me. He said, until, <laughs> until the next, uh, next MD comes in and takes over, he says, but he's got to work his notice. He said, so I need somebody for three months. I said, where are the hotels? He said, oh, Based in Ascot, Ascot, Frimley, Windsor, Marlow. I thought there's worse places in the world than those places. Yeah, so true. I, 
I said, yeah, okay. So I went and met Robert and he said, listen, just do three months for me and stabilize them and then hand them over. So I came in and on the second day, Robert called me up and I did a, I did a, a conference call on the second day with Donald McDonald, who to this day owns, owns McDonald Hotels yeah. and his son and the deputy chairman. And they were quite impressed with what I said on this conference call. And they offered me the job full time. And I thought, and that was the second day I was with McDonald. And um, I, I said, yes, even though I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to work again, full time as a, a regional MD. Yeah. But um, I said, yes. But then three months down the line, I had second thoughts and ended up having a chat to, to Donald McDonald and saying, listen, maybe my values are different to yours. And, that, and by the way, that's definitely not a criticism at all of McDonald Hotels. That's more the fact that I just wanted to run things in a different way. And he said, no, no. But that's Andrew, that's critical as yeah. well, right? To anything moving forward with any kind of longevity is, is that there has to be an alignment of things and it, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and that's it just does. the nature of the beast and there are not there are not good hotels or good hotel companies or and bad hotel companies what there are are different companies and with different values and i've, I've heard you on one of these on one of your other podcasts saying about in your recruitment with your recruitment hat on how important it is to match a candidate in terms of their values with yeah. the values of, of the company that you're putting them forward to work for. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely yeah. could not agree more. And in the end, I did nine months with, with, with McDonald, but, but I said, listen, you know, I need to, I need to sort of uh, uh, maybe work for somebody slightly differently, but I left them on good terms and what have you. And pretty much then happened Well, I was talking to Robert Cook again. Uh, in fact, I was having a coffee with him. Uh, by then he was running Virgin Active and I called in to have a cup of coffee with him in Allgate. And I, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, don't know. And he said, well, I've heard that they might be wanting somebody at Goodwood. And uh, yeah, the rest, as they say. Sold. <laughs> yeah. And here I am four years on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what an epic story. That's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I um, And I love the fact that there's this sort of early transience. And, and I have to say, the real hero in this seems to be your your wife and family, by the way, because <laughs> they um, they kind of followed you and, and, and went with you everywhere. And that's... My know, boys, that's my, my boys, you know, they, they love to shock people who don't know them when they tell them how many houses they've lived in. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know. Yeah. Uh, just just phenomenal. And I, um, I, I know, of course, you're at the helm of the uh, the hospitality and entertainment entertaining of, um... and hospitality yeah yeah if it's food drink accommodation well basically if it's anything that operates 365 days a year at Goodwood it's within my division so it's the hotel the house the private members club the shooting lodge it's all the event catering although we do that with Levy yeah but then there's other I've been given other things over the years the farm I, I mean we've got a fantastic organic farm here and and I'm responsible for that. And that's been a steep learning curve. You know, I don't profess to be a farmer at all. Golf, I've done golf before, but now golf is back within my remit. And also the yeah. shoot, which again, I know nothing about, but I've had to learn fairly quickly. So anything that operates 365 days a year at Goodwood is is, is generally within my 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 division. And and it, there's not a better place to work, I can assure you. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as a, as an avid purveyor of your um, uh, of one of your events, I haven't been to the revival yet, but that's on... On the cards, you must you, you must come along. You know, revival revival is just a massive fancy dress party because for people yeah. who don't know it, you know, <laughs> revival is all about pre nineteen sixty five, and and so so many people dress up in the sort of nineteen forties, fifties, early sixties gear, 
Mm. And they're there to have a great time. All the motor racing is pre-1965. But also what we've begun to realize is that, that, that you know, it's, it's about vintage and it's therefore about recycling. So we're sort of moving Revival forward a bit in the sense that we've actually realized that a lot of people come to Revival because they can wear the clothes they've had in their closet for 30 years and they can come back out again. So it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's so yeah, th- those events, I mean, Festival of Speed and Revival plus the horse racing, they're, yeah. just, they're just incredible big events that that really really you know gel all the team together because we all have to work so hard together in order to make it happen yeah and and i think all of those events that you've just mentioned as well are they're known the world over it's not just a uk thing and whilst you're i'm guessing the majority of the people that do come to these events are from the uk you must have a phenomenal amount of international travelers oh we do and and and, you know it's going to be interesting this year because we will be able to do the events this year and hopefully we can do them to a, a you know, a, a reasonable attendance rate. Well, we think we yeah. will be fingers crossed, but you know, it's going to be slightly different this year because we don't think we'll have as many people from overseas, but we've had so many tremendous messages from people who are, who normally come from overseas saying I might have to miss this year. Instead, I'll just watch your live stream on, on, on the internet, but don't worry, I'll be back next year. You know, there's this great, yeah. great affinity for, for what we do here. And, and, and so many people are just itching as we all are to go to events again. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and that live stream you mentioned, actually, my uh, my brother and I have been to Festival of Speed twice. Mm. Uh, once we went for, for one day, I suppose that was a taster, mm. uh, and then we came uh, for the full four the second time. And let me tell you, I mean, there is something to do for four days. Yeah, It's yep. not just a case of perching your bum on the same seat and seeing what happens. You you know, And even then, we didn't get around everything. Uh, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And now, uh, when, we, um, when the Festival of Speed's on and we're not there... We, we both kind of mark out our diaries and stick the live feed on yeah, uh, and, and watch it together. And, and so many people do that. And, and you know, we have our own digital team here who, who, who come up afterwards with, you know, the, the millions of views that we've had. And obviously that's important for our sponsors because so many of our sponsors are involved, A, because they want to be associated with Goodwood, but secondly, because of the reach that we have. And when yeah. you actually look at the reach of the live feed and, and, and people, it, it's just vast you know yeah it's just absolutely vast hopefully it'll continue to grow i'm sure it will but it's when you realize that the you know the four corners of the earth so many people are sat there you know watching what we're doing in this this little part of west sussex yeah absolutely and notwithstanding you know away from all the events i've also experienced lunch during uh, Festival of Speed at the hotel. Oh. And let me tell you, what a well-oiled machine that was. And I, I mean that in nothing but positivity. No, well, that, because that, that's great to hear. <laughs> you run the risk of uh, something where, you know, it's obviously going to be phenomenally busy at a time like that, where where the, the heart and soul is ripped out of the service and it's just a case of get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out. But I, I have to say that our experience there, the um, staff were incredibly engaging, Nothing was too much trouble. We never felt rushed, mm. even though, you know, you could see that there were more people to come in. It was just, you know, it was nailed. It was brilliant. Well, th- thank you, first of all, for, for, for that. I mean, you know, for something like Festival of Speed with 200,000 people over four days, so, you know, 50,000 people a day, and a proportion are, 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 you know, booked into places like the hotel, which is here on the estate, or there'll be mm. corporate hospitality, 
or they may be on one of the trade stands, or they may just be getting a, a, you know, a Goodwood organic burger from one of the concessions. And the key thing is, whatever touch point that there is, whatever experience they're having, it has to be exceptional. So, so we, yeah. we, we really, really, really try to make sure that whatever, you know, whatever happens here, what, if you're at Festival Speed, you feel that it is, it's got that, 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 well, we talk about Goodwood magic dust here. And, and it, you know, the, and it, it's not a crass thing at all. You know, we, we, we do have this obsession about it. Yeah. Well, it definitely comes across for sure. Super. What uh, what does it take to, to run a multifaceted venue like that? Because, uh, you you know, you've got on your busy days, you've, you've got stuff going on yeah. in lots of different places. Great team, simple as that, isn't it? And trust. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you know, don't underestimate the need. I, I'm sat here now. And we've got a big event today at the motor circuit. It's it's just a filming, so it's not you know it's it's done within in in the the sort of the government guidelines. But there's some yeah. filming going on, and we're allowed to do filming at the moment. And I'm trust you've got to trust people. You know we've got twelve thousand acres here. I cannot be everywhere all the time. Yeah. So it's about trust. It's also I think about just clarity of communication. You know everybody's got to know exactly what what's expected of them. Um. We're very fortunate, you know, we haven't touched on it. You know, the Duke himself is the hardest worker on the estate, no doubt. Absolutely. Right. I was going to ask you about no, him. I'm, so absolutely. Nice yeah. And if you, you know, we do employee surveys just like, you know, so many other organizations do. And if you look at our employee survey, always I can guarantee the, 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 the thing that we score highest on. And, and, and I can assure you, you know, the, 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 consultant, the consultants we use, always tell us that our results are exceptional first of all you know they're they're, they're, they talk about upper quartile i think with us they talk about the upper two or three percent but our single biggest scoring mark is about the fact that we all all of us want to do our best for the family for the duke and duchess because we know this is their home we know that this is this is you know they're not going anywhere. They, you know, the Duke will hand to his eldest, hand down to his eldest son sooner or later, and we want to do the best for them because, you know, the the, the loyalty and our desire to to achieve what the Duke wants is is exceptional. So as a result, you know, everybody goes out the way in those big events just to do whatever they can. Mm. I'm going to get. I'm guessing that that comes from the fact that you know he's respectful. Yep. of everybody that comes work right. there as well. It's a two-way thing, right? You, you don't get loyalty. I, well, I certainly believe you don't get loyalty unless the, the, the word respect is reciprocated. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, he knows instinctively what is right for Goodwood. He's yeah. everywhere. He stops to talk to everybody who, who work here. He wants to know as many good things, you know, if we get positive feedback, of course he knows, he wants to know what, the, what you know, the negative stuff as and when it occurs, but he also wants to know the great stuff. Yeah. He, re, you know, there's so many people who were, I mean, I've been here four years, you know, I, I, I would have thought you've probably got to be here 15 to 20 years before you regarded as somebody who's been here a while. You know, it's just, right. it's just you know, I, you know I, I've got colleagues, you know, who, who, who've been here for so long and they're part of the furniture, but they still perform day in, day out, you know. And, yeah. and it's just, there is, there's something about working for a family that is, you know, completely different to a corporate feel. And that has its pluses and its minuses, you know. At the end of the day, we've only got ourselves here. We, we can't call upon a head office or anything like that. Yeah. But as you say, 
the, the, the Duke has this, this degree of respect from us all because it's reciprocated, but also, you know, we just want to do the best for him. We want, you know, we don't want to let him down. Yeah. We, we know what he's, he has the highest expectations of anybody I've ever worked for. And so therefore we all really, really, really want not to let him down and to perform in line with his expectations. And that, that's yeah. a magical thing when it all comes together. No doubt. I can, I can imagine. He's clearly a, a bit of a visionary uh, as well to, you know, cause he could for all intents and purposes just have happily sat on his land yeah, for, uh, yeah. for, you know, the, the end of time, but he's turned it into something that is, you know, it's just spectacular. I think f- fundamentally he's creative. You know, b- before he came back to to the estate, uh, he he was he was a commercial photographer, and to this day is he still has a, for photographic exhi- exhibitions. Right. So you've got somebody there. The Duke is, is is a very very creative person, and if you say to him that you know, at the moment we're doing we're doing three restaurants in external marquees until hopefully things change in two weeks' time when mm. the, the roadmap progresses. And so I've, I've got three marquees up uh, across the estate. And his grace said to me when he, I said to him, that's my plan. He said, he said, I want to be involved in how you set dress them. And he was in there the three days before we opened in the mall, personally, just, you know, moving things around, suggesting this, suggesting that. And absolutely everybody loves what's done here. And a lot of it is down him to the Duke himself getting personally involved. Right. So as you say, he's, he's not as if he's just sat on his land doing nothing. He's totally involved in everything. No. And I have, uh, here's another one that we walked past when we were at Foz. Uh, he was far too busy to go and get a, uh, a selfie from him. Maybe our confidence was up at this point in any case. But he just looks like he walks around with the biggest childish grin on his face the, the whole time of... Um, that Foz is on like he's just absolutely in his element I think couldn't I couldn't have described it any better and and I'm sure you understand how stressful it must be for him for those four days yeah yeah and and you know we he he does a lunch on the Monday for the for the staff afterwards so we do festival speed up to Sunday evening and then the Monday lunchtime all of us few hundred are in we meet in one of the tents that we leave up and we have a buffet lunch, and His Grace gives a speech. And it's all about how thrilled he was and how pleased he was about how it's gone. And it's such a big thank you to everybody. And it is, mm. it's, you know, abs- yeah, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It really is. Yeah, well, I, 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 as I alluded to at the beginning of uh, the show, I could literally sit here and talk <laughs> to you all day about Festival of Speed, but that probably defeats the purpose of why we're here. But before we, we kind of wrap this up, uh, you've been very kind with uh, a couple of stories uh, through your story as well. Is there any Are there any particularly funny moments that you could recount and regale I'll, other than Harry Murray trying to steal your stuff? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you two. And and you're probably going to panic about this one, okay? <laughs> because I've got I've got quite a good story about Salman Rushdie in the days wow. in, in the days of the fatwa. Um, <laughs> but don't worry, don't worry. Yeah. Um, do you recall I I was running Brown's Hotel, so what was what ninety seven? Yeah, ninety seven. Do you recall there was a, a TV documentary series on the Adelphi Hotel in Liverpool? It was one of the first 
<clears throat> you may or may not remember it, but it was one of those fly on the wall documentary series about about a hotel. I have and a vague remember. And memory it was of and, that, and yeah. it was and it was the it was the Adelphi in Liverpool. And the particular episode was, and I think I'm right in saying this, in 97, the Grand National was called off on the day because of a bomb threat from the IRA. Right. Yeah, I'd, I so certainly was, remember that. So yeah. there, was, there was chaos at the Adelphi because everybody came back to the Adelphi. They hadn't seen the horse race. And it was just a typical fly-on-the-wall documentary, how does a hotel cope with, you know, things like this. Yeah. And, and it had been it was on a few months later. And the following morning, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, you know, hotels the world over, they have some form of morning meeting. It, you know, yeah. it, it, it's it, be it morning. Sometimes it's called morning prayer. Sometimes it's called 10 at 10, whatever. But you always yeah. have a, a daily meeting in a hotel, which goes through arrivals for the day, but also things that have happened the previous day. Yeah. And at Browns, it used to happen in my office. So I'm sat there and people are trundling in at 830 because we used to have ours at 830. And as people are coming in, the chatter is all about, did you see the program on the Adelphi last night? And, and okay, you know, it was, there was the odd sort of critical comment about, you know, this, this, this hotel in Liverpool and how hadn't, you know, they hadn't been able to cope with all these people. But you've got to remember, they'd had a bomb scare and all the rest of it. Yeah, so, yeah. so we were talking about, as people came in for morning prayers for our chat, you know, what goes on in the hotel. And I remember saying, guys, let's start the meeting. And can I just point out that, you know, that could happen to us one day. I remember saying something to try and sort of get some sensibility yeah. and some order. Yeah, bring the room back. That's right. And so we start the morning meeting. The first thing that happens is, is that whoever's on duty goes through the incident from the night before. And I'm actually looking at my arrivals list and just half paying attention to to, to what was being discussed from the, 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 the management book from the night before. And mm. I'm going down my arrivals and sort of looking up every now and then. And the opening line was, we got a complaint last night from Salman Rushdie when a rat ran across the cocktail bar under his legs. <laughs> now, I sort of stopped for a moment and I thought, hold on, hold on. And this was when the death penalty had been sort of given to him by Iran, yeah, yeah, correct yeah. if I'm wrong. Yeah. And I just remember putting my head in my hands and saying, can you just repeat that sentence, please? Salman Rushdie drinks in our cocktail bar because this was when he was, he was literally not to be seen anywhere. Yeah. Yes. Didn't you know that, Andrew? He often drinks in here. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, we don't need that for a start. Yeah. Secondly, what's a rat doing running across our cocktail bar? And of course, what became obvious, and, and I, I don't know if you know this, but in central London with all of the kitchens below ground or what have you there's quite a rodent problem and unfortunately what yeah, sure. one had got out and i just i just remember thinking what is salman rushdie doing in our cocktail bar when there are people trying to kill him a rat's running past and we're casually putting it in a duty management book and i just thought <laughs> if that's not if that's not a, re a reflection on on the role that we do then there you go yeah. I'll, give, I'll give you one more quick one because it's 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 quite a simple one when I was in yeah. Langkawi, the Prime Minister of Malaysia, Prime Minister Matadir, was entertaining Nelson Mandela and brought him to my hotel for dinner. Oh, obviously we knew about it for months beforehand. Yeah. So I'm stood on the I'm stood at the front door of this fantastic hotel, the Andaman, next door to Prime Minister Matadir. Nelson Mandela pulls up. He's staying next door at the Datai, gets out, and the the the, the basically I'm going to walk him through this gorgeous reception area that we had, and then into this room where he's going to have dinner with the prime minister. And you can imagine how many bodyguards and 
you know, hangers on we've got in this reception area. It's chaos. There's police yeah. everywhere. And I'm walking with Nelson Mandela, talking to him nicely. Prime Minister's also talking. And we did have other business in the hotel. And just at that moment, there's a British couple with two young kids who were there staying, walking through reception across the front of Nelson Mandela with the lady's got a sarong on. You can imagine, they've just come off the beach. It's early evening. Yeah. And Nelson Mandela immediately spots the kids. And if, if, if you know, as, as people would have told you when he was alive, apart from beautiful women, the other, the other thing that he really loved was, was kids. And he immediately diverts away from myself and the prime minister to go and talk to these kids. And you know, you're, re you're referring to, to selfies. The, the, the dad had a camera on him. Right. And he realized that Nelson Mandela was talking to his children. And his wife's there in a sarong and top and what have you. And so he said to Nelson Mandela, can I take a photograph? And he said, yes, of course. So, you know, all the planning stops and we're all stood there whilst the dad takes a photo of Nelson Mandela with his wife and two kids. And to this day, somewhere in the UK on a mantelpiece, I'm sure, is a photograph of, of, of this lady with her two young kids from 25 years ago with Nelson yeah. Mandela. And I'm sure somebody thinks it's a fake. I'm sure somebody thinks, like, yeah, yeah? and it's not. And that's what, and, and, and just, just to summarize, that's what the great thing is about hospitality. Because we have the opportunity to have people like Nelson Mandela in our hotel having his photograph taken with, with you know, a couple who just happen to be staying there. And it's, and it's a wonderful industry to be in. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of it, isn't it? I mean, and, and there's, with all the best planning in the world, a little moment like that yeah. comes at you from left field and, you know, you don't see these things coming in. But, you know, uh, uh, Mandela was renowned as having the uh, the, the lightest touch, wasn't he, with, oh, um, tremendous. with those around him? Absolutely tremendous. And I just, the joy, the absolute joy on, on, on that family's face. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite a day. Quite a day. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Well, look, thank you very much. We've, um, we've, uh, well, we've gone on a bit, which is great because I, I, your story is just fantastic. <laughs> what would you say to, to somebody who was contemplating a, a career in this wonderful industry? I'd say, so long as you've got passion, go for it. You know, it's a wonderful industry. We, we, we experience teamwork like no other industry I know. If you've got enthusiasm and energy and positivity and you're optimistic, there's no better industry. And, and you know, I'm very fortunate. I've got two sons and my, my, my youngest is actually doing hotel management at university at the moment. And, right. I'm, you know, it, 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 it's great that he is. And it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful job. And, I, you know, I'd be, I consider myself very fortunate. Well, he's going to have a, a reasonable mentor then. <laughs> he doesn't listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I forgot. The, uh, that's the family prerogative, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, it, I mean, look, it sounds like you're, you're doing what you're absolutely born to do. And uh, I can't wait to, to come down and, and share a coffee with you um, uh, at, at some point in the future. Phil, you're uh, most welcome. It's always a pleasure to get to Goodwood. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. Okay. Take care. Oh, Take care sorry, yourself. before we go, if somebody wants to, to get a hold of you to learn more about you and or, or what's going down at Goodwood, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, oh, uh, by all means, just email me. It's andrew.coggins at goodwood.com. And, 
you know, but a lot, you'd be, you, you'd be amazed. Most people can find me or find me on LinkedIn and, and send, send me a message. And, and I'd, I'd love, I'd love to catch up with, with anybody who wants to have a chat. Fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your story. My pleasure. It's been great to speak to you, Phil. You too. Take care now. Bye-bye. Cheers. And there we have it. What a wonderful and rich story Andrew has, demonstrating that you don't always need a plan and that being open to opportunity that presents itself to you really can take you in interesting directions. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.